Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders Melisande for The Accidental Aliens. I am Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I am a managing partner at Invader Comics. Hell yeah, man. All right, so we are um, now in the month of November, and yeah. um, um, so I'm curious, do you have a November-style beer to go along with the month? So that's... That's a good question, and I think I'm going to need to table that for a week. And here's why. I'm not drinking beer right now. I am drinking scotch. Oh. So, uh, you know, I think we both we both had our own bouts with stuff last week. For me, that retreat in Lake Arrowhead, I think there was crud in the air conditioning. And, in fact, um, I know some people who know their air conditioning, and they gave me some plausible reasons why. And I'm like, yep, that all makes sense to me. Because I was like, I'm not crazy thinking I may have gotten, like, some crud from air conditioning in a hotel, right? They're like, no, you are not crazy for thinking that. So I haven't been in much of a mood to drink beer since then. But these last four or five days, I've been more of a mood for scotch because the calories might be the same or similar, but the ounces are way less and so it doesn't really fill you up and uh and that's reason number one reason number two is it is uh it is a very special person's birthday today it's eden's birthday as we're recording this actually so we are going to have a very late dinner so as a result i'm gonna i don't know man i poured myself a pretty honking glass here oh i don't i don't know how much i'm going to uh drink but we're going to go for a while and see how it goes. Because this this may be my only drink for the evening. I may have a beer later at Yard House. I'm not eating, so this may get me flying. So anyway, I've got uh, I've got the same scotch that is uh, on my Instagram. Because it was the scotch that I bought specifically to open when I finished my novel. It is Glen Berge. It was a hard-to-find scotch. It was delicious, the first one I had. But it did also taste of completed novel the first time oh so yeah. this is the second time i've drank it so we'll see how it tastes without uh you know the background of lake arrowhead and without me knowing that i have just finished a novel that i've spent a ton of time on what about you man Are you drinking anything oh uh, yeah yeah i i'm okay so full disclosure uh not that you guys really not that it affects you guys listening but i have covid uh, i'm on the tail end of it so last episode i thought i just had the flu and turns out it was way worse than that had covid still have covid um, I'm on day five, actually, so I think technically I'm past the uh, the transmitting part of it, uh, mm-hmm. according to the CDC. So um, tomorrow I actually have a follow-up from my knee surgery, and I can actually go to that because, you know, it's going to be day six. Um, so anyway, all that to say, I am drinking this week, and it is Howling Gourds Pumpkin Ale. It is uh, okay. 7%. And it is all right, actually. It's not overwhelmingly okay. pumpkin, but it's it. There's the hint there, and for me, that's the perfect amount. You don't want like me personally. I don't want the whole beer to taste like pumpkin. Like, I don't know. That's just not appealing to me. But that yeah. hint in there is really enjoyable. Yeah. I, so I've never met a pumpkin ale that I have liked. So I and I and because of that, I'm just unwilling to try them. In fact, um, you know, we're recording this. I don't mind. I don't mind a little inside baseball here. We're recording this um, in early November. Let's just go with that. And Halloween is in our very recent rearview mirror. And so what I did today was I went to Target. And because there is a seasonal coffee they made. Maybe I've talked about it before on the podcast. But... You know, there. So basically, October is like pumpkin spice season, right? We've talked mm-hmm. about the pumpkin spice mania, and there are seasonal coffees that everybody makes. 
And one of the seasonal coffees that I think is new for this year was salted caramel mocha by Starbucks uh, bagged coffee. And I bought a bag a month or two ago and I loved it. And I've always been keeping my eye on like when the Christmas stuff comes out, they're going to mark down the fall stuff. So I was there today and God damn it, it was half price. So I bought two bags. Yeah. I would have bought I would have bought more, but coffee goes bad. And uh, that it? should be. Yeah, yeah. It, it gets stale. Basically, it doesn't necessarily go bad, but it loses a little bit of its pop after about four months or so. Oh, Especially okay. when it's ba- when it's bagged, when it's when it's just a ground bean, and you're when it's a bean and you're grinding it yourself, it goes a little bit farther, longer. But uh, in the case of bag coffee, like the ones I bought today, they have an expiration of like January thirty first, two thousand twenty three. So anyway, I was super pleased with that. I expect that this is going to be stout season pretty soon for me, because I just don't know if there are seasonal beers that carry me from now to then. You know, the seasonal coffees are already out in abundance. We've got peppermint mocha coffee and that kind of stuff. So it's easier for me to figure I'm going to get down with some seasonal coffees than getting down with some seasonal beers. But we'll see. I got to go to the beer store in a couple days and we'll see what I find there. Right on, man. Yeah, Trader Joe's has a nice influx of new stuff that came in. And I I sent you and Gary pictures of it all. uh, All the ones that I grabbed at least. Um, It was funny because I had zero intentions of buying any. You know, it's like I still had some beer left over from the guy trip. And I was like, ah, let me, I want to go through all that stuff first. We don't need to waste money on buying extra beer. And she goes, ah, just go look. I'm going to go, you know, walk around and whatever. So um, when I popped in, I was like, ah, man, they have like a Japanese lager. Okay. They got this this seasonal one. There's a couple of seasonal ones. I'm like, okay. All right. All right. Twist my arm. Oh, wow. I know exactly. Take, (laughs) just shut up and take my money, Trader Joe's. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mother Earth had the, um, uh, um, ah, shit. What is that? Uh. The Cali Creamin or the, the Cali, seasonal Cali Creamin? The, ca- the seasonal Cali Creamin, the creamsicle mm-hmm. one. They only yeah. had four left. And I was like, okay, well, it looks like I have to buy all four of these because yeah, I don't know yeah. if they're coming back around, when they're coming back around. I really enjoyed them. So it's like, okay, let me grab them before they're gone. Well, I actually bought a orange creamsicle ale uh, when I was at Trader Joe's a couple days ago. I just can't remember who made it. So maybe I'll bust that open on a podcast soon and find out once and for all so yeah i did buy a couple beers uh recently but again just not in the mood to drink them maybe tomorrow or the next day i'll be in more of a mood but for now oh, it's scotch hell yeah yeah i was it's funny i was just talking to danielle about that uh, my girlfriend and we were watching this show it's it's called uh i think it's drink master it's on netflix it's basically a bunch of mixologists. They're competing to see who's the ultimate mixologist. So it's all about mixing drinks. And um, initially she's like, do you like this? Show? I'm like, it's fine, I guess. Um, I'm just, I've come to realize that I'm not a hard liquor person. Like, mm-hmm. it's just not my thing. Like, I've tried to be a hard liquor person pretty much my entire life, but it's always just beer. I just prefer beer. And so I was like, yeah, it's just not as interesting as like, the cooking shows that she likes to watch, the baking shows. It's like, well, I love food. So I love seeing people make delicious looking food and kind of getting yeah. tips. So like to mix drinks, it's just like, that's eh, just not as appealing. I'm not a in my 20s anymore trying to go out in the clubs and meet chicks and do all that stuff. So it's yeah. just like less appealing. But then the more I watched it, the more I got into it. I was like, eh, yeah, they do some interesting things. And it's just yeah. way more than what I used to experience when I was doing the bar scene. And um, yeah, it's like all these crazy ingredients, like making shit from yeah. scratch as opposed to just getting pushing some like a different button on the tap, you know, so. Yeah. OK, so two two stupid things. One, have you ever heard the DJ Dave song Mixologist? 
I don't think I have. Okay, so yeah, DJ Dave, I think, is from like eight years ago or so. I think he's a dude out in LA, and he would do like sort of comedy raps, maybe in the vein of like Lonely Island. I think oh, that's like the Little name. Dicky? Uh, I mean, I don't know. You know, like Lonely Island, like uh, I'm on yeah. a boat. Uh, so like, the guy named Dave, there's a, there's a, he's like a Jewish rapper, um, curly hair. His name is Dave something or other. And um, yeah, he goes by Little Dicky, but he, same vein, comedy, etc. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. So he has, he has a song called Mixologist, and it, it talks about this kind of stuff. And the chorus is, hey, Mr. Mixologist, did you have to go to college for this? <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's basically about like the overblown kind of douchebaggery at the time of all these speakeasy things in L.A. with passwords and, you know, a rutabaga on top of like a, a glass with an ice cube the size of like a head. <laughs> it's 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 pretty funny. Anyway, that's thing number one. Thing number two, you know, by living in L.A., I do L.A. things every now and then. And one thing was that my wife knows someone who works at CCA and got us passes. This is a long time ago to this uh, debut of a show. It was called Smirnoff's Master of the Mix. And it was a DJ battle uh, competition. It was basically a reality show for DJs. Okay. And it was it was this shameless product placement by Smirnoff because the the rose ceremony at the end I can't remember who it was but the person would basically have like a, a, a crystal glass I'm holding up I have I like drinking my water out of like crystal highball glasses and he, he basically had a tray of highball glasses and whenever they named the next person be like DJ whatever get your glass that was like their catchphrase <laughs> and and it was always and then they'd always turn it over to some mixologist who there like was clearly just a model reading cue cards so she would talk about like mixing and stuff like that and that'd be their special drink and what do you know Smirnoff was in it it was just this it, dude it was just so shameless anyway it was like that Wayne's World scene where they're talking about you know like man it's a shame what people would do for money and right. they're like eating Doritos and popping new yep. brand and all that shit Pepsi and, and whatever or Coke new brand wow what a what an aged ass reference most people aren't even going to know what the fuck nuprin it was but uh, anyway so yeah good times good times i don't know the term mixologist seems douchey to me anyway but, it does uh, totally totally yeah. this, this, just, that's a term that's a term that only could have been born in los angeles <laughs> yeah know? it's just like look okay you're a little more than a bartender i guess that's i mean i don't know i feel like it should be the same thing, but you want to feel like you're you're not just any bartender. So yeah, reminds but. me of that old that old joke from like the seventies. Hey, hey, Dad, what's the difference between a barber and a hairstylist? About twenty bucks, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's like a janitor and a custodian or something yeah. like that. You know? Yeah, exactly. All right, my man. Um, that's it for the drinks. What's what was your first uh, most specialist epic thing you did work wise this week? I'm gonna combine a couple things. How many things do you have? Dude, not a lot. Not a lot. Okay. So I want to say in, in, I want to say two. Okay. In the spirit of that, then I'm gonna do a nice kind of descending order thing. And the first thing I'm gonna talk about is expanding. Is actually covering two things of mine. It is covering three protectors, and it is covering novel number two. Novel November is underway, and I'm happy to say that so far I have kept to my thousand word a day pace. Although I do feel like, I don't know, there does seem to be some degree of fluff in it where like I'm at 800 words and then I just barf out another 200 words and I'm thinking like <laughs> there's almost no fucking way these words are going to be in the novel, you know, so I almost wonder if I, I mean, I don't know, I'm going to keep with it for a while, but we'll see if like what I don't want to do is meet the stat by throwing filler in there because right. it's just filler. I'm just going to cut it later. So who the fuck cares? You know, like I'm not, I'm not here to win an exercise for the day, but what, what? 
is surrounding that and what is also surrounding three protectors is the fact that throughout the week I have done copious quantities of big thinking just big thinking everywhere I have I have had a change in priorities and you know the reason Scott we talked about it a little offline after last week's podcast I'm not going to talk about it until it's more of a done deal in a few weeks here but I have reason to believe I have reason to shift my priorities to three protectors so Kadoja Symphony of Madness number two is effectively done and I can run a Kickstarter for that and release that whenever I want that's great news Hold on. Um, uh, Art-wise or just writing-wise? Uh, well, the script is written okay. and the art is done. The interiors oh, are done. But I have not lettered it. So, but wow, lettering, that guy is wicked fast. Oh, he's fast as hell. Yeah, I, I mean that's it's it's amazing, right? Now he has a, I mean he has a raw sketchy style which really works to the benefit of Kadoja. But um, but yeah, so no, he's done. You know that's that's what's killer about it. So I can really release that when I want, but I have this weird thing about if I'm, you know, here's how my brain works. If, if I'm going to prioritize three protectors. So initially the next book I was going to work on was animals number two, but because I believe I should reprioritize three protectors, that's the next thing I'm going to work on. So animals number two might have to get kicked back and Kadoja number three might have to get kicked back. Because Kadoja number three might have to get kicked back, I'm not ready to release Kadoja number two yet because I don't want 10 months in between number two and number three. So I need to have a, like my usual rule, I need to have a path forward with the next one to know when it's time for me to kind of kickstart this one. Three protectors, I think, should be the priority for me. Three protectors number two. So what I did was sat around and really thought of the big arc for issues two and three of this volume. It was a blast, dude, because so I I started with that. And then I also said, you know what? I have these really neat ideas for the second volume of Three Protectors. I don't know whether it's going to be called Three Protectors Volume 2 or whether I'm simply going to retitle it and make it like three something else's and have that be the volume two where one unfolds into the other. You know what I mean? I, I kind of like that more because then it's almost like. I have to tell you the sequence, and I think that's really neat. And it also lets you know that each of those sort of stand alone and go into the other. I haven't decided where I land on that. But the important stuff is three protectors, number two and number three. The basic elements of the script in terms of a really decent, high-level, two-page synopsis, they're in place. So what I'm going to do after that, very soon actually, is start to break those down into scenes... And then the way that I work in comics tends to be I start with the big ideas, then split them out into scenes, and I put a page estimate. Four pages for this scene, eight pages for this scene, etc. And then after that, I just start writing the scene, panel by panel, with the dialogue that I think is going to go in. So it's sort of a three-step drilling down. Um, I'm sort of at that second step, but the thing is, I'm less interested in breaking down the first series into you know this this tangible thing i'm going to write and i'm more interested in fleshing out volume two already because i have these ideas for volume two that i really really like i mean i just my my two cents that don't mean shit i would do that go where the inspiration is taking you that's it's part and partial to the slack method where wherever inspiration is taking you you need to go there because that's going to be the best shit you do that day for sure, hands down. I, I appreciate it, man. So, I mean, and then the phrase that I've heard is right where the heat is. That's where the heat is, man. That's what I want to work on. And uh, and so as a result, 
I have been doing so much research and so much, so much big thinking about it, you know, and, and that's, this is the fun part of writing to me, thinking of how it's actually going to go, turning, turning a universe of possibilities into something that's tangible and that's actually your story. And that's what's so exciting about this. And I will say, the thing that's going to drive a lot of volume two is this story around a bad guy character that we're going to learn a lot about pretty soon. And the super cool thing about this bad guy character is I'm able to repurpose this mini... Okay, let's, let's, let's do a little Keith history that I've never talked about before. When I took novel writing class, the novel that I ended up writing, the horror novel, the Lovecraftian novel, that was not the novel I took the class for. I took the class for another novel idea that was in my head that I had already written 40 pages for. I wrote them in 2016 and had been simmering on this idea of like, oh, maybe, maybe I should turn that into a novel. It's much more prose appropriate than a comic book. But then I started to think through it and realize that wouldn't be the best choice for a first novel and that I should go with this other idea I had. And that became the idea for my first novel. So now I have this, I, I revisited that, it was 40 plus pages that I had written. And while it is obvious that I had not taken novel class at the time, that's two years before I took the novel class, it had some really, really interesting ideas in there and really, really refreshing shit where I actually need to go back and research myself a little bit and be like, did I actually think of that? Because that's such a cool idea I wonder if I took it from somewhere, <laughs> you know? Right. So it becomes this it becomes this, this thing of, I need to find out if this very specific idea was something I actually cribbed from another place and, they, and therefore I need to change it a little bit so it's mine or whether 2016 Keith already changed it a little bit and it's mine already. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. No, that's 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 something I look back on with a lot of my work. Or, um, you know, like story ideas that I've had. It's like, okay, where did, where did that come from? Where, what was the germ of that? And like when I was younger, I'm talking like teenage years and like even early twenties when I was, I was, uh, you know, I was wrestling, but I was also drawing still a little bit. There was a lot of ideas that were just totally cribbed from, you know, stories going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And like, I just didn't change enough. And I'm just like, why, why on earth wouldn't I change that? And, exactly. and it's, it's interesting because you go in to, you know, my modern way of creating comics and it's like, oh, everything needs to be the furthest away from everything else as it can. Mm-hmm. And like, to the point where it's just like, oh, when I do the hardcover, I'm changing this, I'm changing that, you know, it's just yeah. these little, little minor things that I'm catching and that I could see. And I'm sure other people that have the same frame of reference that I have, they would see it too. So it's yeah. just like, no, I need to get the fuck away from that stuff is like far away as possible. Another thing was, uh, one of my characters, uh, Bionni man, who's uh, the Filipino Superman character from second shift. When I looked at Bionni, which which was the original name there it's a folklore character so there was hundreds of stories with this bayani character and i was fighting so hard to keep it and later on i just made the decision like just change it just put bayani man and like right. now i couldn't imagine having it just as bayani because if someone right. googles bayani comic book you're going to get a bunch of stuff totally if totally. you and so if you, yeah. if you type bayani man comic 
all you're getting is second shift. And so, yeah. yeah. Anyway, all that to say, yes, I completely understand what you're saying. Got exactly. to get it away from the source material or this germ, yeah. wherever it was, as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. And let's and let's go ahead and absorb the previous copyright discussion we talked about. And let's make it really clear for creators out there. Okay. It's time for a stupid example that illustrates the point. Let's say that I went back in my story and I found out that I had a character who was a toaster. Okay. And so I'm sitting there asking, I'm sitting there again, the equivalent is me going, wow, that's a really cool idea to have a character that's a toaster. But is there a character that's an actual toaster somewhere? Or had I already morphed a, a similar idea into a toaster? So let's say I go back and see that the the actual thing that I had borrowed it from is not a toaster. Well, then I'm good to go, right? Because my toaster is actually the original character idea. By the way, all ideas copyright Keith Foster and Scott Lost here. I don't want to see any toaster <laughs> comics from any of you. <laughs> unless unless you change it. Unless you change it, right? But but let's say it was a Cuisinart, right? And uh, a, a food, food processor. Um, then I'm fine because my toaster was actually an original idea. But if I'm if I go back and see that the thing that I had this inspiration from was actually a damn toaster, then I need to change that to like a sandwich maker because then it's mine. Right mm -hmm. now. Now the character is a sandwich maker and it's immediately mine. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm asking myself questions on. That goes back to our Harry Potter conversation we talked about a long time ago. Feel free to find that episode on copyright if you want a more lengthy discussion on it. And it goes into Scott's thing on Bionic Man. Right. So anyway, that was so much fun. And I continue to be there, and I just want to flesh out how Volume 2 is going to go of Three Protectors, quote-unquote, Volume 2. So I had this conversation with Mike, right? I called him up. And I told him, I've got this cool story I want to repurpose for a villain character in Three Protectors. But the issue is, it's a bit of a slow burn. And I wanted to know what you think. You know, like, and I was thinking I could introduce it like this, or I could introduce it like that. Or I could just chop a whole lot of it down. And Mike gave me this answer. He gave me an answer that was a lot more long-winded than this, but it boils down to this. I said, so basically you're telling me I can do it if I can do it. It's the, it's the old adage, right? right. You can if do you anything can you off. want as long as you can pull it off, right? right. So yeah. it, was, it was a very long, it was a fairly long conversation that ended me with, with the answer of basically I can do whatever I want as long as I can pull it off. You know, so I'm like, well, fuck, that doesn't help at all, though. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I, I wanted some sort of direction, you know, so, uh, but, but I was asking him from the point of view of my specific thing was I don't like to think of the marketing of my own shit when I'm writing it. You want to create the thing, and then you want to worry about how to promote the thing or what place it fits in, like, the landscape. However, what I don't want to do is invest a whole lot of time into a property that Mike then comes back and Kevin comes back from the other members of Invader and says, dude, this is, this is too much this, too much that. You need to go back to the drawing board because now I wasted a whole lot of time, right? right? And that's what I don't want to do. So anyway, that was, part, that was just part one of the big thinking I was doing because part two involves the novel. And I have really started a deep dive into research around the second novel. And like we've talked about before, man, research is a blast. I am finding so much cool shit in terms of researching this second novel. And it is fun as hell. And it's helping inform the big thinking. And I like to think that this is a bit more focused than research can usually be. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting all these texts and books 
and and underlining stuff and writing in the margins and making all these notes and then I'm just making sure I do it and I think there's a really good chance that I'm going to have a a high conversion rate from the stuff that I'm selecting to actually being in the novel as opposed to just learning a bunch of cool shit and then force force shoving it into the novel and creating a whole lot of waste for everybody which we just talked about like an episode or two ago you know so anyway um the novel and and three protectors are both cranking along I I am now writing in the novel and I'm able to kind of apply that knowledge and we'll see how it goes. You know, I I do feel a bit premature in just getting into this novel and starting to write it. But the way that I'm doing this second novel is very much writing as exploration. As opposed, you know, the first novel was I had this plot in mind and it was about writing to the skeletal plot that was sort of in my brain. In this case... On one hand, I'm like, maybe it's too soon for me to start writing this second novel. But then I thought, I can do all the research in the world. And I can wait a month. I can wait two months. I can wait whatever. But is that really going to change a single word in this novel? I'm still going to write as exploration. I'm still going to have to figure this shit out as I go. And I'm still basically res- you know, resigning the first draft to be the place where I just spit out a whole lot of shit and see what stuff works when it's time for me to make a second draft edit. So that was what broke the tie and just had me say, fuck it, just start writing. Yeah, man. Um, I I don't believe in, I don't know, waiting for any kind of reason, to be honest with you. If if you feel inspired, it feels like something you want to work on, you can, you can throw everything out the wall and see what sticks. It doesn't mean... Like, you have to use everything you wrote or anything Mm -hmm. you wrote. Like, at the end of Novel November, you can go, okay, this was a fun exercise. I don't think it got me any closer to what I want to actually do with Mm -hmm. this. But it also gives you, I don't know, ideas that you don't want to do. It's like, well, I went this way. This didn't work out. And like you said, it's all exploration. So it doesn't matter, honestly, where, where and when you start this. If you started it two months down the road, would it be different? Absolutely, it will be. Like, what you, what you think today your big thinking today yesterday it's going to be different tomorrow so Mm -hmm. is the book going to be different yeah but you might find a sliver of good good i don't know chapters uh in this novel november and carry those forward and throw everything else away or you can go you know 75 percent of this is actually pretty decent and yeah Mm -hmm. i did add fluff and we're just going to cut that and we're going to keep it keep it moving and we're going to keep working on the second draft and see where the rest of that takes us hell yeah and and to that point, there was even something today that I thought up while I was writing it. I was like, fuck, yeah, that's I, I, you can already tell some of the shit where you're like, that's staying because I created a proper name for basically an organization. I was like, ooh, that was smart. That was a good call. You know, nice. and that all happened today. And that only happened because I'm forcing myself to just write as exploration. So, hey, to all you writers out there. What we've just said these last five minutes, you know, neither of us are really believers in waiting around. Just get out there, throw something at the wall. It's not going to stick. The magic of any piece of writing or comics, which involve writing, is the editing, is the selecting, is the fact that you're going to go over this multiple times. So, you know, you can only go over it a second time once it exists a first time. And uh, why not have today be that first time where you're getting it out into the world? Again, it's much harder to create something from nothing than it is to edit something shitty and turn it into something good. So go out there, get make something, and if it's shitty, so be it. You can make it better tomorrow. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yep. 100% agree with all that. Yeah, that sounds like a, man, it sounds like a, a very, I'm sorry, I got a, I got COVID brain right now. Uh, so the the wordsmith that is Scott Lost will, will not be here today, <laughs> but uh, if that even exists. The poet laureate is on vacation for a week. We're just <laughs> right. going to have to go with fog brain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fogbrain Dum Dum Scott will be responding <laughs> and speaking to you all for an hour. <laughs> so, so what's going to happen? Are you going to like listen to this podcast in the car? Oh, in just like eleven cringe. days and go. This is what I meant to say. <laughs> right? I'm just going to be like you, fucking idiot, you idiot. <laughs> no, man, that's a very productive week. It sounds like it sounds like a fun, productive week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just sitting, thinking of shit, looking stuff up. Like that's that sounds sounds pretty awesome. Um, I had the opposite. Uh, because of COVID, I have been very unproductive. I have been very unmotivated, very lethargic. Um, I Every time I picked up my iPad and tried to work, I will work for about 30 seconds to a minute and go, I don't want to do this. And I just put it down. And like for me, that's super rare. I always want to work. I always want to produce. I hate feeling useless. And um, I feel like I hate feeling like I'm wasting time, you know, because we only have so much time to do these things, these creative endeavors, and you have to maximize it when you can. And for this past week, I have not had that. And I will thankfully say today was the first day that I felt like doing things. I was like, no, today you are going to, you know, you're going to stick to it. Even if you feel tired, even if you feel like you don't want to do this, you're going to sit there and you're going to draw something. And like, luckily having just that thought process, that, that state of mind, it actually allowed me to get some stuff done. So I managed to finish three, no, two panels today. Um, and I started laying out the third and it's looking really good. So I do feel good about that. It's been, um, so this is our fifth day. So normally I would have about five panels done. Um, so two and a half, it's not my normal, but hey, you know, after the week that I've had, I'll take two and a half. Um, I feel good that I'm actually able to move forward today um, because things were, you know, so slow for the moment. And uh, luckily, you know, the other week when I finished the Drawtober stuff, I managed to f do three panels that same night. So on, on second shift 13. So it was like, oh, okay, I actually you know, a couple of those days can be accounted for, uh, just going a day to day panel situation. And so it's like, okay, realistically you, you missed out maybe two to three days. So, mm -hmm. um, not terrible. And I feel like I'm on track again. And, uh, you know, it was one of those days where the Slack method, uh, helped in the sense that I felt like doing backgrounds. I was just like, Hey, you know what, this, this panel, it's, it's all, you know, it's a skyline scenery, um, and I'm doing a lot of silhouetting in it. It's just like, okay, let me detail out the buildings because I do want elements of 3D, uh, a 3D element for those buildings, even though most of them will be silhouetted. Um, so, you know, when you do your silhouette work, you still have to work everything out. You have to make sure the muscle structure on your characters are right. You know, when you're doing your buildings, you have to make sure they make sense in a cityscape scene and, uh, you know, windows, etc. So, um, yeah, it was one of those days where I felt like doing a background. I knocked it out, and I'm pretty happy with it. So, um, yay. Hell yeah, man. That, that's cool. I mean, COVID, COVID does what it wants. COVID is a, you know, multi-headed thing, and you just don't know how you're going to deal with it until you actually deal with it. I know when I had it, 
I definitely had a few days where I wasn't doing my usual productive shit. But, you know, this is why you're productive on the days you're productive, because sometimes you got to chalk some stuff up to the gods. These next couple days, they're going to be I've got a lot of just like personal stuff going on. And some of that involves actual personal enjoyment. And I'm going to enjoy myself. And then on the other days where I'm not doing it, I'll do my best to just make up for lost time, you know. But um, but yeah, I know when I had COVID, dude, I read a shit ton of comics because that's what I felt like doing. I felt yep. like just sitting there and reading comics. Yep, and, that's uh, I did boy, that too. I caught up on like f- four or five different series. Like I was just yeah. like, okay, you can read. <laughs> at yeah, least that's something exactly. you can do. At, at least at least half a short box went went away when I when I had COVID. It was bonkers, you know. So so that was pretty neat. Um, so yeah, man, that's cool. It's it's cool that you seem to be sort of wading back into the depths, and uh, soon enough you'll be you know bu- you know swimming through it like you like you always do. Yeah, fingers crossed, man. Hope so. Yeah, man. Yeah. So for me, my second thing, much smaller, and that'll I'll just stop with this. Uh, let's do a quick housekeeping thing, which is I shipped off all the Kadoja Kickstarters a while ago. I forgot to mention that. That's always nice, nice to do. Yep. People have received them. I know you've been tagged in some of them if they've as they've shown up, which is always nice to see. And uh, hey, man, it's nice to see people enjoying the book, and especially to you out there who got the Making Comics edition, because that seemed to bring some joy to people, too. So that's always fun. Um but the second semi, again, dwarfed in comparison to the first thing that was so much of my week. But I also finished the revised ending of Animals, which I've been talking about. So as we speak, that is in Mike Perkins' inbox, ready for him to bless it. I think we are very close. Um, so I incorporated, there was one big change and a whole lot of small changes. The big change was the one I think I mentioned before where I had gone back and forth on Mike of like, what about this? What about that? Tell me what you think. You know, it was, I just needed to talk to him and text him and stuff. And that was the one that ended with him going, boom. Like that was his literal yep. thing, right? Like that's how we're going to end this. So I all I had to do was implement that, which I did. But I thought it was funny because then I went back and reread the smaller notes. It's amazing the things you fall into when you don't realize it. So the two funnier smaller notes that I had were that there's a there's a scene where I'm 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 kind of having fun with the medium of comics in this one scene in Animals in that you're seeing action in the panels and the dialogue over it is entirely independent except it connects slightly right like by the end of the dialogue you realize they're talking about what's happening in the panel panels panels <laughs> but uh <laughs> but <laughs> well done but uh drunk drunk me is just uh, well buzzed me is just uh, all about it so but what's cool is i i liked it i liked it as sort of an exploration of the medium and i think it works but but what at, during some of this it's basically a voiceover over what you're seeing on the screen and or on the page and there's one part where a cell phone rings and the way that i denoted that cell phone ringing is the letters r-i-n-g and mike was like Cell phones don't really do that, right? Like, am I am I supposed to believe that that's ring? So that was fix number one. And then fix number two is when I end the call, I actually use the word click in the, mm. I, I had I had a, whatever you call it, a greater than, less than around click to signify mm-hmm. the call ending. And Mike was like, no, nah, I don't like that either. And so, you know, he was right, right? Like, cell phones don't ring necessarily. Unless you're, they, yeah, unless you program your ringtone to sound like an old school Exactly. Phone. Exactly. And uh, and cell phones don't click when you hang up. So I got rid of the click and I just had it end. And I'll just count on the reader to figure out when it's pretty clear. And then for the for the ring, I was like, well, what do I do? And I was thinking like, 
you know, maybe a beep, 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 something like that. I think that that's the best way to do it. And I was thinking like, it'd be cool if I could find an artist that could just quick whip up some onomatopoeia, some sound effect for the beep, 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 beep. And I'm like, wait a minute, is that in an old issue of Kadoja somewhere? And I went and looked through volume one and sure enough, Rory must've done it 15, 20 times. Oh, wow. So that's what I did. I actually added in just this beep, 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 beep into the panel and I think it works and so that's why it's so great to have some of this old stuff so you can just use it again you know there there are a couple Kadoja sound effects from volume one that I repurposed in volume three and uh yeah that was cool and uh it's great to be able to just repurpose this stuff because it's there because you have all the layered out PSDs and you can just grab little files and use them again and that's something else for the creators out there you know you can keep on reusing this shit if if it helps you and uh, again, this was just a perfect thing. I, I made a slight change to it. I sort of changed the angle of it. I, I swirled it around a little bit so it's a slightly different angle because I thought that worked better for what I wanted to do. And boom, I had, uh, I, you know, you have an arsenal of stuff out there if you want to use it. And sound effects are the great kind of thing that can sort of be recycled if you have something you really like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I do it with the uh, second shift apartment building, like an issue shit what was that um 10 um i reused the apartment building twice and the second time was just an extreme close-up of one part of the bu- the building and mm-hmm. i threw um some bushes or some brush in the foreground to and like because there was a character sitting in a tree and um so it was a zoom in on that and i just you know, put some, uh, uh, you know, some leaves and stuff in the foreground and it created that 3d element to it and changed, you know, the scene basically. And so, yeah, repurposing art, repurposing lettering, like that's all great. I have like a sheet that's for my lettering and it's just, uh, sound effects, uh, word balloons, tails, you know, different style bubbles. Like it's just like, yeah, repurpose that stuff as much as possible. Save yourself some time, work smarter, not harder. Yeah, and and try to be creative on it. You know, I'm going to go on a little tangent here, but I'm not going to go into detail. I'll just say if if anyone out there sees me at a convention or wants to hit me up on text or the next time I see you, if you're the kind of person that I know, because there are people on the podcast that I know that listen to this podcast, um, I can go at length about the kind of stuff I used to do on Big Pimp Jones Productions in terms of looping stuff and making it sound new. You know, so I am very proud. You know, I I had this buddy who was a DJ and he was like, I can spot loops from a mile away. I know whenever there's loops on stuff, he's like, your stuff that doesn't have loops. That's what's so cool about it. And I'm sitting there like looking at him thinking like, oh, my God, I use so many fucking loops, dude. (laughs) You know, like that kind of thing. Right. But it means it means that I figured out a way to do it. And again, I have some really neat things that I do that I think work in terms of looping. And uh, yeah, man, it just keeps it fresh and, and it allows you to reuse stuff and work smarter, not harder, like Scott was just saying. So anyway, that was my second thing. Uh, my second thing, second and final thing, is commission work. So I was doing a mermaid commission for one of my longtime clients, and he had some corrections that he wanted done. Um, this is a piece that he already had the pencils to, and I'm doing the digital inks, and I will be traditionally inking it. Um, so yeah, he had a bunch of corrections for me or adjustments, and I went and knocked those out. So 
Um, I sent that back to him. I said, hey, man, I got some days that I can work on this. So if there's any more corrections, let me know. You know, I can't leave the house. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I am eagerly awaiting your input. <laughs> yes. Look, man, I need to make money and I can't leave. So let's get this done. <laughs> um, yeah. So so I knocked that out. I was pretty happy with the results. Um, the things he were, he was asking for, what they was not was not hard none of the corrections were very difficult it was just you know gonna take some time and so i had the time so i knocked those out and uh still waiting to hear back from him so once i get that i mean like i said tomorrow will actually be my day six so i can actually leave the house and um hopefully i do get the okay then i'll blue line that drawing um and get it printed out at an office depot or something like that and get to work on it so I picked a very good amount of scotch to drink. That's all I can say. This I think I think that was probably somewhere okay, around like three ounces, maybe something like that. So I mean, mm-hmm. a pretty a pretty good solid goddamn amount of scotch. And uh, I'm just I'm in a nice place. I'm in a nice place right now. I have good. not eaten like I mentioned, and I'm probably not going to eat for a little bit. Yeah. It's ride time. It's ride You're leaving time. This part in right. Oh, I totally am. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> okay. So then it's let me, me and my you... homie Glenn Berge, and we ride in. <laughs> um, so let me give the review of this Howling Gourds pumpkin ale. I like it. It just it wasn't overwhelming with the pumpkin. Like it was it was there, very subtle, and just a solid beer. And it's seven percent. So I, I would actually buy this again. I wouldn't buy like a, a six pack of it, but I would have another one. Is it is it a pumpkin flavor or a pumpkin spice flavor? This is a crucial point. Yeah, but does, to you, um, does it taste like pumpkin pie, which which is a little more pumpkiny, or like does it taste like pure pumpkin yes. pumpkin pie, or like pumpkin spice, which is sort of a step beyond that? A pumpkin pie, I would say, it has okay. a pumpkin pie hint to it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because yeah, so many. I like. I think I mentioned before. Like there are fucking ales that just taste like drinking a fucking pumpkin, and I think pumpkin is gross. <laughs> like just i i am all about the part of the spice and not part of that pumpkin shit you know so yeah anyway yeah it's not bad man yeah definitely worth a try so if someone um, handed it to me for free i would probably drink it but there, there i go. can't see any any plane of existence or any alternate version of me that would enjoy pumpkin ale at this point right yeah i think it's like i think it was like 9.99 for the six pack or something like that's that not so bad. that's 250 for yeah beer, so yeah. not not too terrible well actually it's uh, less if it's six pack yeah yeah all right so uh, we're going to the main topic for this week that concludes our uh, uh weekly business what we get done every week so the main topic this is actually a topic from one of our listeners daniel sawyer so thanks he sent a couple in so this is the first one we're going to do he has a second one which we'll do in a few weeks um number one or Number one out of his two. First and foremost. First and foremost. My comic is done. Now what? After finishing drawing, writing, etc. As an indie comic maker, what are the, the next steps in getting my comic out into the world? If I wanted to go through a publisher, where do I even start? Man, that is a big question. Okay, so for let me field the publisher part first. If you want to go through a publisher then my suggestion to you is do a Google search that says publishers that accept unsolicited submissions because that's what you want. You don't have an in, odds are. If you have an agent, great. If you have an in, great. If you know somebody at some of the bigger players, by all means, use that connection and get your comic in front of them. But odds are 
you don't know anybody. And if you just finished a comic, then probably you want to submit it to the kind of publisher that accepts unsolicited submissions. So again, there's a really neat resource out there. It's probably a blog post or something. Someone out there, they keep a record of all the comics currently accepting unsolicited submissions. Invader is one of them. Um, And all that means is these companies like us, we have an inbox and you can send us whatever and we're going to take a look at it. Like I can guarantee it. You know, like if you send it to Invader, I'm going to look at it. And so are Mike and Kevin. And that's probably the place to start with publishers. We actually have an episode in the recent past that talks about submitting to publishers. That's a nice resource. And I would say just instead of repeating ourselves here, go ahead back and consult that one. And that's going to tell you a little bit about submitting to publishers. It just gives a quick checklist of the kind of stuff we look for that all all of them are pretty easy checks to put in a box. Just make sure you're doing them. Make sure you're giving them what they want the information they want, the number of pages they want, you know, do they want a synopsis? Do they want a cover sheet? Do they want five pages or do they, do they want 10? Those sort of things are important because it lets it lets the publisher know that you've actually read all of our submission requirements and you are respecting them. Huge, huge, huge little thing that you can do. Um, in terms of anything else, why don't you go first, Scott? So, I mean, that's the publisher route if you want to do that. But there's another route that you can do, too. And both Scott and I started doing it. Well, yeah, the other route is doing it yourself. You know, you decided to do the book yourself. You got, if you're the writer, you got the art team together. If you are the artist, you got, you know, the writing the writing team. If you weren't the writer, just whoever else you decide to incorporate into your creative team. Um, you can publish it, you know, yourself. If you're not going to do the uh, the route, like let's say you do s- submissions, you don't hear back from anyone, but you do want to get it out in the world. You want to start doing shows and everything like that. Um, there's a couple of printers that you can do. They're just the simple, quick ones. Um, Kablam is one of the long-standing mm-hmm. ones. As far as I remember, they're a little bit more pricey. Um, Comics Well Spring is a great one. I know a lot of indie creators that are using them because their their prices are actually quite reasonable. And it's comics with an X, uh, Well Spring. So if you Google that, they should pop up. And uh, you can get them printed relatively inexpensive, um, maybe somewhere around 250 a copy or something like that. So if you sell your indie book at five, you're gonna be doing all right. Um, let's see, you wanna start doing shows, number one. Um, I would say check your area. What are your local conventions? Hopefully you've been going to local shows. So you kind of know the ones around your area and you can go from there. You can see, go to their website, see if they are accepting Artist Alley, new Artist Alley submissions. So if you can get into Artist Alley, that would be excellent. Um, Small shows can be your friend. Like people that love comic book conventions, they love the small, if they love comic books, they love the small shows. You're going to actually do well at those shows because there's going to be less big, big time creators that you're competing with. And you're going to be basically competing with your contemporaries, other people that are starting off like you or have been at it a little while. So they may, might have more product than you, but don't let that dissuade you from doing shows as many as you can. Um, I started off doing conventions with second shift one. I just had second shift one and I was drawing my ass off you know just that's how I was doing commissions just to stay afloat and make sure I was making my money back and everything like that Um, I took the the route of doing local conventions solely for the sake of I'm either in town so I don't have to rent a hotel or anything like that 
or I would do shows in LA. Uh, I'm in San Diego, so I go to LA, but I had tons of friends in there. Uh, my writer lives in LA, so I was able to stay with them, do shows up there. So think about things like that, shows you can do that are local, or maybe they're in areas, you maybe you have family in another state or something like that, and you're like, hey, that's a pretty good convention to do, maybe I can stay with them. So that's another route as to getting your book out into the world. Do as many shows as you can, get, get your feet you know, get your, what's, what's the term right now? Um, wet? get your feet wet. There it is. Yeah. I was like feet under you. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't feet know. wet. feet wet. Sounds right. I mean, I, right. I think get, get in there and mix it up. Yeah. Um, mix it up. You know what, what Scott is talking about is the route that both he and I chose to do. So separately before we even met, I think both Scott and I decided that we have this comic. And we want to work on this comic and we want to build this comic and we want to get this comic out there and we're willing to put in the work and we're willing to spend the money and we're willing to table and we're willing to, you know, invest in ourselves and invest in our future and take these books and see what happens. And so I think, you know, like I hate answering questions with questions, but I also love answering questions with questions. <laughs> and I think an important question to ask yourself to everybody out there listening, what do you want out of this? Do you, do you want do you want a career? Now, when I say career, I don't mean your primary source of income. Okay, we can all. I, I this is making comics, and it tends to be at an indie level. So what that means is, when you're making comics at an indie level, odds are you have another primary source of income. This is a secondary source of income with the dream of having it be a primary source of income someday. But asking yourself some honest questions about where you want to go in terms of career, it's super important, right? Because where you want to go in terms of career is going to dictate your path of action. You know, Scott and I are both the kind of person that very much want this to be a primary source of income someday. Or, hey, there's also a way to, to sort of straddle that. Maybe it doesn't overtake your primary source of income while you are in your primary earning years. But you know, being retired and collecting money from pensions and from like Social Security or whatever and having an income that's decent of like stuff you create, that ain't a bad way to go through life either. You know, so there's so many ways to win at this. The most important way you're winning is like we've talked about before, you're making something cool and you're putting that out in the world. But I think... Answering the honest questions about, answering honestly your own questions about what you want this to turn into is going to help dictate your actions. You know, Scott and I, like my my strategy was a little bit different. I went ham, dude. I went to as many shows as I could. I picked new cities. You know, what would happen is I would I would pick a city and be like, I started by, by trying to find out what the 10, 12 biggest conventions in the country were. And my goal was to get a table at every single one of them. I succeeded for the most part. There are still a couple conventions I haven't been able to get in. I'm staring at you, San Diego Comic-Con. You know, but that doesn't stop me from trying. And at one point, I was basically in conventions, uh, the second through the 10th biggest conventions in America. That has to dial down because at some point you have to make some hard P&L decisions. You know, am I making money from this? Do I want to just, you know... 
ignore the sales knowing that they don't quite add up to the cost, even though I'm glad that I went to this. So for me, I started with a huge, I tried to have like a national footprint and just travel around, but I couldn't sustain that. And, you know, some of that had to do with COVID, you know, because you just, you just can't sustain. It's very tough to sustain. It's better to build local and expand out. So what Scott said, I think is a great design. If what you want is to make more comics, either of the one that you just made or similar comics because you want to branch out into other properties, start local and then go regional or go wherever you can go where, you know, the the one of the important two costs can get covered. You're always going to pay for a table. We know that. Airfare and lodging are going to be your other two costs. So my general rule is if I can do away with one of those two, it's a convention that I should consider. So therefore, if you know if you're doing away with airfare, that means regional places. Scott and I go to Phoenix, San Jose, you know, places you can drive, San Diego for me, you know, um, Vegas. Those are all places I can drive. Or there's places where you might have to fly there, but there's a way for you to stay with a friend or stay somewhere or room with somebody or do whatever you're going to do, right? So again, just to recap, the first option is obviously the publisher, but and and the second option is to do it yourself. Scott and I are are definitely going to lean on the side of doing your doing it yourself because I landed with a publisher by doing it myself. You know, that's the irony of it. If you want to really get the attention of a publisher, get out there and do it yourself. You know, something we've talked about in Invader, and I imagine other people do it as well. Whenever I do a show, I try to set aside time to actually stroll through the rest of Artist Alley or stroll through Artist Alley if I'm not in it and find the people that are out there that are so be- that, that they believe in their books so much that they're willing to plop down money on a table. You know, because that's a big step. If you're plopping down money on a table, then publishers know that you're serious about it because you're putting your money where your mouth is, you know. So I think I think that's that's good places for physical. I think it's fair to also consider digital avenues if that's something you want to do. You know, um, I don't know, Scott, what kind of experience you have, but my experience on the digital venues is they can be time consuming in terms of getting your stuff set up. But once you're set up, you're just set up. You're there and you're always there. And the best part about that is it's just money waiting for you if you can figure out a way to get people to your properties. Um, And the better part is that the audiences for digital comics versus physical comics, mutually exclusive. People do not sit there and say, should I get this digitally or should I get this physically? Digital people love their digital stuff and want no part of physical comics. And physical people love their physical stuff and want no part of digital comics. So it helps you to get out there and figure out a way to get yourself on one of the digital platforms. You know, Comixology going through whatever stuff they're going through right now makes it a little hard to 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 you know it makes it's going to make it more time consuming on you but there's plenty of other cool companies out there like global comics um and and there and a bunch of others it's still a bit fragmented in terms of the digital world but there are ways that you can get out there and uh, and get your comics on a platform and then they just sit there and people get them and money shows up yep um going back to the printing side of it when you're doing your initial run you don't want to go to ham um, it, it is issue one, so issue ones will always sell. So if this is, if this is a book you truly believe in, go ahead and get a nice amount of books. You know, like, look, 500 copies is a lot, 
But if it's the only book that you're selling, and it's the only thing you're pushing, you're going to move through those 500 copies. Um, you like Comics Wellspring. I think you can do a minimal amount, and it won't. the The price difference between like 25 and 50 won't be that much. Um, I think you might get a price break at 100 copies, which is a nice place to start. So um, depending how much money you have, what you're putting into it, um, I would go for the 100. 100 issue mark um if you truly believe that and it's something you do think that you're going to be pushing a lot and going to a lot of shows and and then go for the 500 because the more that you purchase the more more units you buy the cheaper the cost usually is so if, if you're looking for that better deal to make that money back if you're not going the um crowdfunding way like if you're not going to kickstarter or indiegogo whatever else um you know you want to make sure you're getting more bang for your buck. You're going to get your return on investment. Go for that higher number count. Um, I yeah. always recommend doing a, a crowdfunding site. Personally, that's that's just me. Um, because you can get fans that way. You'll get new readers if you know your book looks good. The pitch is good. Then people are going to go to it. They're going to back it. And you know, make sure you're doing a minimal amount. What you think you can raise and um go from there you know like whatever i think my first one was like a thousand two hundred or two thousand two hundred i think might have been the uh, initial goal and then over time i've lessened that just because i realized hey i don't need to do as many copies i was doing basically 500 copies for the first five issues which you definitely don't need um <laughs> of like two through five you know um mm -hmm. but you know it's that's something to think about and um i personally would go the crowdfunding route and then that way your initial costs aren't something you have to really concern yourself with especially if you are paying a creative team if you're paying artists and colorists and letters etc um you want to make sure you're making some of that money back and crowdfunding is definitely a good way to go one other thing that i want to mention that scott kind of hinted on hinted out there is to so if your comic is finished I'm assuming that means the first issue of your comic is finished because that's what we're talking about here. So a little caveat I want to put out there is for you to beware of the drop-off that's going to happen from issue one to issue two. I sold directly a whole lot of copies of Kadoja One. It was self-published, so I printed up a very nice amount of issue one of the self-published had it at shows, sold it well at shows. Caught up retailers, because there's there are retailers out there that'll just buy your stuff. You know, you just got to know who they are, and there are resources out there for you to figure that out. And you can you can just say, hey, I got this new comic, blah blah blah. And like, I was shocked at some of the orders that came in, but I was equally equally shocked when I had issue two ready. I'm like, how many would you like? And the same people that ordered very big amounts of number one came back in like the single digits of number two. And I was like, Oh wow. <laughs> you know, like huge drop off. Everybody wants number ones and it's much harder to get that number two out there. So again, it does, it does come back to some extent to what you want to do, but that's, I think that's a helpful beware out there. I would have loved someone to tell me that way back in the day that, yeah, that to be ready for this huge drop off from number one to number two. Because it hit me like a like a just a sack of bricks to the face. It was such a, a big thing of like, oh my god, this is not what I expected. So be ready for that, but that's okay. You know, you you're gonna keep on going. You're gonna keep on making your comic. Um, like Scott said, he he hit it on he hit on 
crowdfunding pretty well. That's a great way for you to get out there. You can set a modest amount. You can get a win. And you can finance the printing of your book, which is really cool. And then, you know, if you if, if your comic is good, then you're going to get people to like it. And ideally, you can start to build a fan base a little bit digitally. And then you couple that with the fans that you're going to make in person at whatever shows you're going to do. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, man. So I think I think we did it. Yeah, I was like, that's all I got on that. Um, all right. Hey, thank you again, uh, Daniel Sawyer, for that question. And we'll be getting to your other one, your other topic, in a, in a few weeks. So we do appreciate those. We've been asking for them for quite some time now. And so that was a, a nice little surprise that came into the, the email there. Yeah. Much appreciated. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So how about... Um, how about some bullshit? You got some bullshit to bring, my friend? I got some I got some bullshit. I got some bullshit and we're it's a bit different. It's a bit different in terms of bullshit. A couple of these things are a bit more crafty. They're not quite just total bullshit. You know what I mean? Um God, I just realized I have another bullshit thing if I want to talk about it. This has been a heavy week for the bullshit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I am I am currently listening to Harry Potter book six. That's the first thing I want to talk about. That is the Half-Blood Prince. By the way, fuck spoilers, okay? If 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 you don't like spoilers on Harry Potter, you are so far behind the times. <laughs> I don't I don't have sympathy for you. <laughs> right? Like it's been forever. And but I, I I thought something came up. So when I went to Scotland, it really rekindled some interest in Harry Potter. I went on like a JK Rowling book tour, you know, I I it, it sparked a little bit of interest in the Harry Potter series. I like Harry Potter, you know, for books three through seven, maybe four through seven. I showed up at a bookstore at midnight to get my copy, you oh, know, wow. all that, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Way back in the day, man. So, so the Harry Potter book series is, is, you know, good. I have my favorites. I, I generally, my favorite books are books three, six, and seven. And so when I went to Scotland, I was like, you know, I'm going to reread three, six, and seven. So I did three a while ago. I'm on book six right now. The Half-Blood Prince. And I want to bring up something that I thought was goddamn fascinating. Number one, look, J.K. Rowling has her flaws in terms of writing, specifically on the character side. J.K. Rowling's character stuff tends to be her weakest skill. But when you talk about the plot of Harry Potter, wow. You know, in terms of the world building and in terms of the plot development, it is strong, 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 strong. You know, in, in my opinion. And um, what I was really impressed with is that we, we've talked so much about Act 1 and Act 2 and Act 3. And how you have this, you know, in terms of writing anyway, you have this Act 1 turning point into Act 2 that should happen somewhere around the 25% mark of your work. And then you have the Act 2 into Act 3 turning point that should happen somewhere around the 75% mark. Does it need to be exact? Of course it doesn't. You know, like when I happened to do my novel, my act two to three turning point was actually at about the 80% point. But it's what it is, right? But what I was fascinated with, and we've talked about how act two can just be the fucking worst, right? At the 55% mark, okay? Because I, 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 I measured it. At the 55% mark of Harry Potter book six, you get the sentence... What do you know about Horcruxes? Dude. Horcruxes are the shit, okay? <laughs> like, Horcruxes are such a cool, in you know, development within the Harry Potter dumb. 
And what they do is they just accelerate the book all the way to the end. And I was I was kind of blown away because this is such a cool introduction that happens. And it happens almost dead in the middle of, of the dreaded ass act two. So I wanted to at least like throw some props there that you could argue like in terms of my recent memory, that's the most interesting act two development I have come across. You know, that is the kind of thing that just accelerates a book toward the end. And you have this killer moment that was planted just in the damn wasteland of act two, you know, so bravo for that. And again, I don't know if it's instructive or not, but it definitely got me to think like, wow, man, you know, like it'd be cool if I could figure out a way to step up my game in again, the dreaded act two to just figure out a way to get this nice momentum there. So I, I wanted to bring that up just because that is such a huge revelation when you get to this thing in Harry Potter. It drives everything that happens after the rest of book six, the entirety of book seven, and it's just sitting there right in the middle of act two in the wasteland. I was like, props to that, you know? Nice. Um, my bullshit is less, I don't know, poetic and involved as <laughs> yours. Um, <laughs> instead, I just spent a lot of money. fuck your poetry motherfucker yeah exactly (laughs) um so i had my big purchase for the year i have not there wasn't anything this year that i remember spending an enormous amount of money on comic wise um but i got that out of the way so i went and went and took care of that i got golden age daredevil number six slabbed it is a 1.8 it's not a very high slab a lot of my old stuff a lot of my golden age books that i end up picking up they're pretty low like my x-men number one it's pretty low i think it's a two and um honestly i don't mind like it just doesn't bother me uh because i know how much those things cost when they're a little bit more minty they are definitely a pretty penny and so like i i stay in my lane so yeah number six ran me 346 dollars and here's the fun part about this I was looking at this book. It was counting down. And I was like, wow, Daredevil number six slapped. Number six, that's that's a low number. I haven't seen low numbers like that. I think the lowest number I had seen was 12. And uh, I was it, you know, it was on an auction. It was going down. And um, I was like, what is the number that I can live with spending yeah. on this? Yeah. And I'm like, look, I, I like Daredevil. It's not the love of X-Men like I used to have. So I was like $346.79. Guess what I won the auction at? $345.79. I won it for, to, down to the penny of yeah. what I was willing to pay for it. So yeah. it was well, like... within a dollar, right? Less than a dollar. Oh, no, basically. no. I'm, whatever the number... Again, COVID brain. So whatever yeah. the original number I said, it was the exact number. It okay. was... Yeah, it was three, 346.79. Yeah, 346.79. Right. Yeah, so that's, that's exactly what it cost me. $346.79. And I was yes. like, that means the guy in front of me bid 346.78 cents. Yeah, or 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 sometimes I think they I said I think they might round up round up to the dollar sometimes, mm-hmm. but you were within a dollar, which is bonkers, right? Yeah, that is that is exactly what happened with me with Fantastic Four Forty Nine. By the way, like that is a complete repeat of what happened with me whenever ago for my copy of Fantastic Forty 
449. It was so close, and you barely did it, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's so crazy. I was like, I don't I don't know <laughs> why the fuck this guy had bid the exact same amount, but I was a uh, I was pretty jazzed on it. I was like, right on, man. Like I'm pretty yeah. comfortable. It was definitely the right dollar amount. Right. Um, I didn't feel bad about it, but it was definitely an expense that I was not prepared to have. Yeah. And it's just like, well, I guess that's just going on the credit card. And yes, so, exactly. You know, exactly. It, I feel good about it, and I think my my revelation is I will be doing that once a year. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know that I will ever have golden age daredevil one through 50, but I can try. Yeah. And the way I can do that is reserve one big purchase per year and, and just try to dwindle down the numbers like that. It's just like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to have to do a few more commissions to try to make that up. But, um, you know, it'll get there and it'll be fine. And like I said, I'm, i didn't flinch at the price. I was like, yeah. that seems really good for a book that was made in, I think like 1945 or something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, not too shabby. Yeah. There, there's auctions that I have won and was not happy that I won them, <laughs> but this one I was very happy about. Yeah, I was man, like, that's fuck, awesome. I think I, I think I overpaid a little bit, like, you know, on other stuff. Um, but this one I was, I was like right on the money. I was like, yeah, 300, yeah. You know, forty six is definitely reasonable for a number six of that book. It's it's bonkers. I've yeah. seen number one and it's like five thousand bucks, and it's just yeah. like yeah, unless unless my books take off and they get picked up by a movie studio or Netflix or something like. <laughs> I don't think I'll no ever get away. Yeah, exactly. yeah, there's no exactly. fucking that, way. That's a, that's a no fucking way. No, for me, it's that's Fantastic Four or Five, the first appearance of Doctor Doom. Dude, if I want that thing at a 0.5, it's like 1500 bucks or something like that. It's oh, insane. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. insane how much that goddamn thing is. So, yeah, man, I mean, that's, that's you know, what do I say? I use the phrase book advance money, right? Like, yeah, that's, exactly. <laughs> that's, you know, hey, I, I got I to gotta hope that the book sells and gets a big advance for me to even consider that fucking thing. So, uh, so anyway, <laughs> so it's all good. It's all good. Um, yeah, all right. So my second thing in the bullshit section is that I went to see Merciful Fate a few days ago. So metalheads will know what I'm talking about. It's King Diamond's first band. The show is amazing. That's not the story. The story is that there's this dude behind me that was talking super ass loud to the people in in between Creator, who had played before, and then Merciful Fate, the headliner. There was this dude that was talking to friends or acquaintances or something, and he was talking about all kinds of shit. He was talking about the fact that like he works for a company that sells bone regrowth stuff. And he was like, no, 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 dude, the, the bone regrowth is legit. Like, like we have clients and, you know, like it's legit. It's just that it costs so much that people don't hear about it. So it's like, you know, one of our clients, he's Christian McCaffrey. He's the running back for the Panthers. He's like, no, 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 not the Panthers, the 49ers now because he just got traded. He's like, our clients are like the Spurs, like the Lakers, like every sports team, big soccer stars. They come to us because they break their bone. They break their bones and they want to heal as fast as possible. And that's how they heal along these crazy timelines. They Mm. buy this legit, like FDA approved bone regrowth thing. And it's legit. It just like, and he, he used legit a lot, which you'll see. And then he keeps on talking about all this stuff. Right. And I'm like, you know, this guy's a big mouth, but he's interesting, (laughs) you know, so and I can't help but hear him, you know. So then he then he proceeded to say, like, there's a little break. And he's like, no, 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 dude. Hyperbaric and cryogenic chambers are legit. Like they extend your life like 10 years. He's like, 
You know, I mean, you can, and you can do that treatment for like a hundred bucks a month or something like that. You can do one treatment because the goal is like to reduce swelling and just like keep, keep everything compressed, even right. in short doses. And so, you know, like if you're asking me what I pay a hundred bucks a month to extend my life 10 years, damn right I would, you know, that kind of thing. And like, I'm sitting there listening. I'm like, maybe I should look into this. I do hear a lot of good things about it. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I'm just making a mental note. I'm not sure I have the money for it, but it sure is interesting. And uh, so, yeah, man, I don't know. Maybe, maybe cryogenic chambers are in my future. Maybe, maybe I could freeze my severed head like Walt Disney and then just have it last forever. <laughs> By the way, I make that joke all the time when I'm inside a Disney park grounds and, and people may not get it, but I just don't fucking care. Like, like the, I, something for you. I I hope I I I hope that urban legend is real. I actually hope Walt Disney's severed frozen head is somewhere giving instructions to the Disneyland employees because that <laughs> it's just the greatest thing of all time if it's true. I want it to be true so so bad. Anyway, uh, you, what else you got, man? That's it, man. That's all I got. I spent a lot of money, and I was like, "You're done now. You better stop." <laughs> okay. So, okay. Yeah, it's it's. Go ahead. That's a wrap for my shit for sure. Okay, so let me let me go with I don't know, man. I have I have one more thing plus a deep thought. Do you want me to just hammer both of them right yeah, now? Yeah, man, do it. Okay, so the the one the one thing I bought, I can't remember if I mentioned this before. But in talking about world building and stuff with three protectors and some other things, I I became obsessed with the idea of properties that sort of change the game on you and just expand at such an amazing rate to the point where you just have this whole thing out in front of you, you know? And so one of those, for the kind of people that are interested in that, because I I do think that the best textbook is to actually just buy a piece of pop culture and then make notes about it and see what they do, you know? So if you're interested in huge, huge world building, I suggest The Expanse Trilogy by James S.A. Corey, right? That's a show, but as a book, The Expanse is great in terms of where it starts. It starts with this singular idea and explodes beyond galaxies by the time you get to like book five or six. It's incredible for that. So if you like sci-fi, I love that book series. I think I read the first five, maybe six books. I have not watched the TV show, but it's because I read the books. There is a comic series that I'm not going to name that I have a couple issues of, and I had always liked it way back in the day. And I finally decided, like, you know what? That's exactly the kind of thing I'm going for. So let me buy all the issues and see what happens. And that's what I did. I found some really good cheap issues. I'm just going to keep it to myself. If anybody wants to hit me up individually, yeah, I can tell you. But um, just very cool, like, sci-fi world building where it starts in one place and just totally unfolds into something else. So super cool on that. So I bought those. They haven't shown up yet, but I expect they will at some point. Um, And then that brings us to the weird thing, right? I can't even remember what prompted this, Scott. But I got obsessed a little bit for this idea of innovation, okay? Like, and and the thing is, I think a lot of us, when we make comics, when we make books, when we make whatever, music in particular too, you wonder if all the ideas are taken. You know, you wonder, is there anything new here? Is there anything new to make or to synthesize or whatever? And I thought of some examples that just kind of, you know, bent my brain, right? And and I don't know where we land, but I find it interesting to think about because I do think there are ideas out there, but you got to just go hunt for them and keep on working and keep on doing it. And the couple of examples I thought were interesting in my own brain were 
for those old enough, it's basketball time party, people. For those old enough to remember, the slam dunk contest, I am a slam dunk contest aficionado and junkie, okay? I believe we retired the slam dunk contest of the NBA did in 1997 after Kobe won. Kobe's win, while somewhat interesting, was the end of a period where there were a whole lot of boring slam dunk contests. And that was like 1994 through 1997. I think that was when Kobe won his. And um, we retired it. It was gone. Like they took away the slam dunk contest. And then they brought it back because of a promising dunker named Vince Carter who went ham in 2000, I think. And maybe 2000, I think it was 2000, 2001. And so the NBA brought back the slam dunk contest. And there was this thing of like, have all the dunks been done? Didn't we get rid of the slam dunk contest because there was nothing else to do? And then Vince Carter proceeded to throw down six dunks or whatever it was that no one had ever seen before. He reinvigorated the idea of dunking in a contest with his performance. And what was crazy was there were some dunkers that lost to him that also reinvigorated it. You know, the runners up did really well, too. And so here we were in 2001 thinking, you know, a year before, like, God damn, we're out of ideas. There are no new dunks to be done. And then Vince Carter was like, no, motherfucker, there are so many new ideas out there. You just got to find them, you know. And then you flash forward to 2019 or so, maybe 2018. You know, I happen to think that the last great slam dunk contest, in fact, the last one anyone can remember, was the Aaron Gordon. um, Zach Levine. Zach Levine dunk off, which was insane. I, I think that's the best back and forth contest of all time better than Neek versus Jordan because the yeah. dunks were so interesting. You Gordon know? got and ripped off, by the way. If you go back... He and, totally got ripped off. If you guys go back and watch that dunk contest, Zach Levine did a variation of the same dunk. While yep. impressive, he just did a variation of the same dunk like multiple times and that got him the win. I think yeah. it was a nostalgic thing because he put a twist on Jordan's like free throw yep. line jump or something like yep. that. Exactly. And it's just like, okay, you get... All right, that should win you one round, but not the whole thing. Like Aaron totally. Gordon had so many innovative dunks. I was like, this is bonkers, like what yeah. he's doing. Like the yeah. the dunk behind both legs. Like with his, sitting, with his legs vertical up, up yes, a parallel like to a the ground, sitting position basically with the legs Fuck straight up, here. and you yeah. that didn't win it. It's it, it's he was highway highway robbery, highway robbery. Yeah. Totally. And and what's funny is that surpassed the ultimate highway robbery, which is Neek beating Jordan in 1986 in Chicago. I'm pretty sure it was 1986. Neek got hosed in that. So I find it interesting that you referenced that Zach Levine kind of did an ode to Jordan, who himself stole a dunk contest from Jordan, who abs- from Neek, who absolutely beat him way back in the day, you know. Mm-hmm. But But ever since that contest, we've thought that people were out of ideas and God damn it. We're right. Cause the last couple dunk contests have been fucking terrible. <laughs> no, they're trash. Yeah. Maybe the innovation is actually dried up in dunking, you know? And, uh, I just find that kind of interesting. I don't know, man. There's, um, these guys that are just dunkers. They're not NBA players or not anything. They're just, that's all they do is dunk, you know, like think Shaq has hosted one of those or like judged mm-hmm. one of those. A few yeah, of them. TNT does, does one of yeah. those. Yeah. I know you're talking and about. yeah, those guys, they have crazy dunks. Like I haven't mm-hmm. seen before. So it's just a matter of getting the guys that are in the NBA to actually try those, you know, mm-hmm. like that's honestly, I think that's what 
these guys in the dunk competitions, what they really should be doing is seeking out these pro, those pro dunkers and mm-hmm. going, what do you got? What do you think would win me the title? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Let me pay. Let me pay you some dollars for some ideas. You Absolutely. Know? And, and, yeah. and there was one other idea which came to my mind, which is which I thought was kind of interesting, which is um, I think that the year was 1971 or 1972. But Godzilla, the franchise had reached a point where a lot of the people that were in control of the franchise felt that there were no new ideas. The, I believe the director uh, who, was, who was coming up for an upcoming Godzilla film was like, there are no new ideas, I'm out of ideas. And then he happened to see King Kong Escapes. I believe that's the movie that has Mechanicong in it. It is a, a mechanized King Kong. And all of a sudden he was like, nope, I got more ideas. And he created Mechagodzilla right there. And that was 1972. And since then, we have had a whole lot of really fresh takes on Godzilla. I don't really have a a point I'm arriving at here. I just think it's kind of interesting to think about innovation and to think about, like, have all the ideas been done? Are there new ideas? I came to the conclusion that there have to be new ideas and that they simply exist in the synthesis of other ideas in new and inventive ways. You know, but... It's just something I find fascinating because there have been multiple times where people have felt like, nope, there's nothing new to be done. And then they get this one little spark and they're like, nope, I was wrong. Tons of new ideas here. And now here they come. They're flowing. You know, yep, so absolutely. anyway, fun to think about. Right on. I think that's a great note to leave on. So um, uh, you could find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. You can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. That is me posting all kinds of stuff. I just teased a property that's upcoming, which you guys know about. But uh, you go over to Instagram and, and find it, and you'll see something that is not Kadoja or Three Protectors on my Instagram. And I'll probably be posting a little bit more as we get closer to that going forward. Um, and then I have quotes. I have all kinds of stuff that's that's fun to do. And, of course, I have at Kadoja Kaiju. That's all one word for the giant monster lovers out there. But I post pretty infrequently on that these days. And you can go to AccidentalAliens.com if you want to pick up the books that I do, Second Shift, Minimum Wage Superheroes, and Wanderers of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans. A thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets and come across the planet Melisanda, where the meteor never hit and dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. Two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. Keith, does that ever work? It never works. It never works, man. But you know what does work? The purchase button at AccidentalAliens.com. <laughs> Yeah, for me, uh, KeithRFoster.com is my website. You can find uh, some blog posts. I I try to throw some blog posts there now and again. Of course, I have a store where you can buy my books. Um, And, you know, you can also read a little bit about Kadoja, which is Giant Monsters Meet H.P. Lovecraft, and Three Protectors, which is Kung Fu in Space. And for Three Protectors, I want to bring up that there are still a few first prints of Three Protectors Volume 1. And if you want to be cool like Daniel Sawyer and have your question or your comment or your subject matter be the episode topic of that week, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com and shoot us a letter there. Let us know something that you'd be interested in us talking about. Uh, any questions, comments, concerns, something we talked about briefly and want to know more about um, at accident or I almost said accidentalaliens.com. COVID I mean, you is, did actually start to say it and then you corrected it by saying I, it. I did. I did. did that. COVID is no fucking joke, man. I'm leaving um, it in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Making comics podcast at gmail.com. 
Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast before. This will come as no surprise to Ed, who nicknames me Numbers. But um, did you know I used to be a mathlete? No, I don't think I did. Yeah, man. In 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 uh, junior high, I was a mathlete. I actually had this, this fun moment that I've told my kids about before um, where... I would do these math contests. Yeah, man. So that's how fucking cool I am, party people. <laughs> I not only entered math contest tests, but I won some. And uh, there was this one idea of math. It was this division called number sets. And it was, the, it was a test where you had all these math problems and you could not write anything on the paper other than your answers. If they showed, if they found evidence of you even writing something and erasing it, you failed automatically and you got zero points, right? Wow, okay. So you had to do all this calculations in your head. So as a result, one of the things that I memorized is squares and square roots. I can still do most square roots between, I think I can do all of them between one and 25 to this day. I can do all the prime numbers to 100. That's that's the kind of playboy I am. (laughs) And so I bring this up because, um, do you happen to know what the square root of 625 is? I do not. It's 25. Do you know what the square root of 25 is? 25? It's five motherfucking stars on iTunes. That's what it is, right? It's not It's not even five. It's five fucking stars on iTunes, and it's five stars on Apple. Or sorry, that is iTunes. on Because iTunes doesn't exist anymore. I don't have COVID, but I did drink scotch. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, five stars. Spotify, five stars. You know what to do, party people. That's it. That'll do it for us people. Thanks for stopping in. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Yay, yay.